All right. Good morning, church. It's so glad. Uh, I'm so glad to have you guys in with us this morning, watching via our Facebook page or Central Baptist uh, Church website and cbcbrandon.org. Either way, we're glad that you're here. Uh, if you're just looking in, you're not one of our church family. We're glad you're here too. So uh, we're going to delve into God's word here today. You know, as we uh, saw the the previous video with Dr. Tony Evans, when God shouts, you know that that is so true. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. You know, this past week, we have heard a lot of news, uh, most of it bad, unfortunately, from our professionals and from the experts and from those people. And really, we, we put a lot of stock in, a lot of trust in, that they know what they're talking about, and they make predictions about how bad the, this, this coronavirus, how bad it's going to be. And uh, obviously, it causes a lot of uh, concern, uh, worry, anxiety, uh, fear, and even panic in some, some instances. But you know, something he said in there was this. God is not surprised. None of this surprises God. God knows exactly whose lives are going to be directly touched and indirectly touched by this virus. Everything that takes place in the physical realm that we can see was either ordained or allowed in eternity past. Why? Because God desires to draw us to himself. God desires to, for us to come back to him, back to where we're supposed to be. And I believe that God is using this circumstance that we're in right now to speak directly to us as believers, that we would come back to him. You know, everything that happens in our lives, God is speaking through that. God shouts through that to come to him. He says, rely on me, come to me, return to me, talk to me, build that connection back with me, build that relationship back with me. God uses circumstances to draw us to him. God uses circumstances, he uses his word, he uses prayer, he uses people. But in this instance, he uses circumstances to get our attention and to speak to us. And we see that throughout God's Word. We see that in the Old Testament uh, with the Tower of Babel. We see it uh, in the uh, Jewish people and their uh, time in Egypt as they were under bondage for hundreds of years. We see that in the flood. We see that in, in King David's life and in Solomon's life. We see that in Job's life, that God speaks to us. We even see that especially through Jesus and his death on the cross. God spoke through that and was telling us something. And I believe he's doing the same thing here. You know, last week we talked about the importance of being prepared for crisis, prepared for uh, tragedy. And uh, this week we're going to take that a little step further. Not that uh, I hope that we're prepared for it because we know that Job was, but at the same time, not just being prepared for it to come, but what to do while in the midst of that crisis, what to do in the midst of that tragedy, circumstance, whatever that may be. Take your Bibles, if you would, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 28, excuse me, Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah 29. We're going to look at some verses here uh, this, this morning, and and a uh, very familiar verse, one of these verses, but we're going to look at the, and build up the context uh, that we see here. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask God's blessing on our time together. Father, as we gather as the body of Christ right now, Lord, I pray that your word would penetrate our hearts. God, that you would do something that has not been done before in our lives. Lord, that we would pay attention to your word. God, that we would listen to it, that we would 
take it within our spirit, our soul, God, that it would take root and just infiltrate our lives. And God, that you would transform it, transform our lives through your word. God, we pray for those who are are directly affected through this coronavirus. Lord, we pray for healing. We pray for comfort. God, we pray that people would turn their hearts toward you. And God, that you would cause us to return to you, cause us to seek you. Because Lord, we know that you desire us and you love us. So God, we pray your blessing on our time together as we are in the very word of God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Jeremiah 29, the title of our message this morning is, In the Meantime. What do you do in the meantime? And you'll understand what we're getting at uh, here in a few moments. The backdrop is this. Judah, God's people, the southern kingdom, had forsaken him. And this is a time when obviously Jeremiah was alive, and Jeremiah was born in Judah. And during this time, the king's name was Manasseh. He was a wicked king. His father, Hezekiah, had done some, some things uh, that, to try to turn the country around and bring the country back to him, but Manasseh went totally wicked. Uh, uh, he rebuilt the high places that were torn down by his father, Hezekiah. He built altars for pagan gods in the very temple that Solomon built. This is a guy who was so wicked, he even caused uh, his son to be a human sacrifice for Baal, and he uh, offered sacrifices to Baal. And to tip it all off, Judah's priests themselves, they were wicked. So God steps in and does something. God sends a nation, Babylon, through a man called Nebuchadnezzar to, to invade Judah, to invade and attack Jerusalem and take Jerusalem and then take God's people into captivity back to Babylon. Now, not all of them went. Most of them did. Some stayed behind in Jerusalem, and one of those people that stayed behind in Jerusalem was Jeremiah. And in this particular passage that we look at today, God is telling Jeremiah about a letter that he wants Jeremiah to write to the people as they're in exile in Babylon. And so this, what we're about to read is an excerpt from that letter that they, that he, Jeremiah, is sending to them to uh, tell them what God is doing. So that's what, as we look at this passage, under, understand what's going on here. If you look in, in, in verses 1 and 4, uh, we see that uh, verse 1, Jeremiah 29, now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive to the priests the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. So there you see, it's a letter that he's sending from Jerusalem, from Jeremiah, from God, to the exiles who are in Babylon. But it's interesting, in verse number 1 and in verse number 4, what does it say? It says, thus says the Lord. God is speaking, God is shouting, as we saw in our our video clip here a few moments ago with Dr. Evans. God is speaking to them, possibly even shouting. And what he's saying is this, while you're in captivity, this is what I need you to do. While you're going through this circumstance, while you're going through this hardship, while you're going through this tragedy, I've got a job for you to do. Do this. While you're in your current circumstance, which by the way, you're not going to like, you're going to hate it in fact, But I want you to do this. While you're away from your home, while you're possibly away from your family, maybe your family was split up, while you're outside of your normal routine, 
while you're in another land, while you're literally hundreds of miles away from your home, do this. It's almost like God's honey-do list here. Some of you husbands understand that. You know, you come home and your wife has a, has a honey-do list here. I need you to, uh, to fix the, the, uh, uh, the cabinet, and I need you to fix the garbage disposal, and the dishwasher's not doing right, and I need you to wash the car, and I need you to mow the yard. You got your honey-do list. Well, God's got a, got a believer-do list here for, for the Jewish people. From the land of Judah. So we're going to look at that today, and I'm going to share with you three of these things that are on this list. Number one is this live life as normally as you can. Live life as normally as you can. You say, What? They're in Babylon. Are you kidding me? Live life normally? Yeah, that's what he says. Look at chapter 29. Look at verse number four. Verse number four, we'll start there. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive. Whom I, notice that, God, I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is not an accident. God uh, made it happen. Verse 5, build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. And pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets or uh, diviners who are, in the midst of, uh, uh, who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to the dreams which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord." Live life as normally as you can. You'll see here in verse 5, he gives you five different things where he says, I want you to do these things. In verse number 5, he says, I want you to build your houses and dwell in them. While you're in Babylon, go ahead, build your own houses. Dwell, live there. That's your, in a sense, your home away from home. But build houses and live there. After that, in the latter part of verse 5, he says to plant your gardens and eat their fruit. Go ahead and do what you would normally have done back in Jerusalem and back in Judah. Plant your gardens. Plant your vineyards. Plant the crops that you would normally plant. Go ahead and, and do that. That'll be food for your family. You'll uh, possibly do business, have uh, business interactions as you sell your crops to others. But go ahead and plant your gardens and eat. The third thing in verse number six, he tells them, just go ahead and raise your families like you normally would. Raise your families. Take wives. Have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Uh, give your daughters to husbands. In other words, go ahead and raise your family. Have your kids. Your kids will have kids. I mean, we got a couple of generations going through here. And go ahead and just and, and raise your families. By the way, raise your families as unto the Lord. Raise your families, not as you've been raising your families, but raise your families the way I expect you to raise your families. Teach your children the ways of the Lord. Teach your children Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. The Lord our God is one, right? Teach your children the ways of the Lord. And number five, reject false teachers and teaching. While you're there, reject false teachers and teaching. We see that in verses, uh, uh, excuse me, let's back up one. Verse number seven, pray for your city. Pray for your city. Seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. While you're there in Babylon, pray for the city where you're living. Pray for the nation of Babylon. Why? Because as you pray, if that city prospers, guess what's going to happen for you? You're going to prosper. So as it goes for the city, so it goes for you. 
And then the fifth thing, now we're to it, we reject the false teachers and false teaching, which we find in verses number eight and number nine. Now, why would he say that? Why would he say, don't let your prophets and your diviners uh, who are in the midst of deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed? For they false, prophesy falsely uh, to you in my name. Why would he say that? Well, for it could be a couple of things here. Uh, first of all, obviously they're going to a foreign country, uh, foreign false gods, you know. Uh, those types of uh, things could be taking place, false prophets, uh, uh, sorcerers, all that kind of thing taking place in another country. Got all these different false religions, all this idolatry, that. But I don't think that's specifically what he's talking about here. He's, spe- he's speaking of those people under King Manasseh who were preaching false things, saying these particular things are coming from God when they actually were not. A great example of that, if you look back in chapter 38, verses 3 and 4, there was a prophet by the name of Hananiah who said, okay, you guys are going to go to Babylon, but you're only going to be there for two years. Well, in chapter 29, verse 10, God said, "Uh uh-uh, I don't think so. You're going to be there for 70 years. You're going to be there a long time. That other guy who made that promise, who made that prediction, who prophesied, Hananiah, he lied. That's not one of mine. And that's what he's talking about here. you got to be careful and discerning of these false prophets. He's telling them, he's saying, listen, you guys are in the middle of a very unusual circumstance. And many of you who are going to Babylon right now, you are filled with worry and anxiety and fear and panic. And you may want answers, but you just can't, may not be able to get answers at this point. But still, you're going to Babylon. And you're living there. So live life as normally as you can. Listen, in the midst of what we're going through right now, worry, anxiety, fear, panic, you, you name it, you know, it's happening in our country. And we, we see this as taking place, and we all want answers. We all want stability. We all want normalcy. We all want life just to return the way it, it, it was before. But listen, that may not come for a long time. We don't know. It could be months, even years. So live as normally as you can right now, as best you can. Your family needs you. Your family needs stability. And the best way to find stability is to have your house built on the rock, the foundation of Jesus Christ. What does all this mean? Well, from a very, from a very practical standpoint, parents, what it means for you is this. It means that you do things with your kids. It means you help them with their homework. It means you connect with them through uh, uh, however you decide to do that in, in your own homes. It means that you do chores with them. It means that they, there are certain things, responsibilities that they, that they might have. It means you play games with them, you know, play a board game with them. Uh, build a house of cards only to see it, you know, fall down or, or whatever the case may be. Play video games with them. I always didn't like that because my sons, I'm not very good at video games at all, so I don't play them very often. And every time we play, we always play Mario Kart because that's like the only one I know how to play that's even around anymore. And every time I play Mario Kart against any of my three sons, I just get, they spank me. It's, it's awful. They just whoop me up one side and down the other. It's real bad. And I always end up in last place, and they laugh at me and mock me. But you know what? We had that time together. So this is a perfect time for you as parents to reconnect with your children, getting them involved. By the way, give them a schedule. Give them structure. They need structure. Don't let them get up whenever they want to and go to bed whenever they want to. Give them structure. They need that right now. And this is a time for you as a parent to plug in into your children's lives and to make a difference in their lives for, for good, for God. Develop an alternative normal. 
Because that's where we're at in these days right here today. But here's, here's a novel idea. Sit down and actually, in the mornings before they start their studies, read God's Word with them. Pray with them. Let them hear you pray. Teach them how to pray, who to pray for, why to pray. Have intercessory prayer. Pray for, uh, for other people. But live life as God intended it to be. Live as normally as you can the way God meant for it to be lived. Your family is looking to you for leadership in these areas. So live as normally as you can in these circumstances that we're in the midst of. Number two, God's teaching them, I think, this. Number two, trust in God's sovereignty. Trust in God's sovereignty. Verse number 11. Verse 10, he says, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good work toward you and cause you to return to this place. In other words, they're coming back to Jerusalem at some point, but they're going to be in Babylon for 70 years. When that 70 years is up, God's going to step in and make it happen. But look at verse 11. First, that many of you may even have uh, memorized. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. I want you to look at this first, and I want you to underline a couple of words for me. I want you to underline the words know and thoughts. Know and thoughts. I know the thoughts. The word thoughts, many of your translations, in fact, most translations will have the word plans. The word thoughts means the plan or the design or the purpose or the way. I like to think of it as the blueprint. There's a blueprint. There's a plan. God says, I know the plan. I've got the blueprint, uh, blueprint laid out in front of me, and I can see everything that's happening in real time. Even though it happened hundreds of years this way and hundreds of years that way, to me it's all in real time. And he says, I know the plan that I have for you. And I love this word, know here. That, that is, man, what, a, what an assuring word. God says, I know the plans. What has happened for you to go to Babylon was not unplanned. I knew it all along. What sent you to Babylon? It wasn't an accident. This whole thing was not accidental. It wasn't unplanned. It wasn't, oh, oh, oh. How did that happen? No, not at all. Not for God. God didn't sit back and go, well, I didn't see that coming. Absolutely not. Trust in his sovereignty because God says, I knew that this was coming. I know that this is coming, and I knew that it was coming, and it's all for you. It's all to help you, even while you're in Babylon. What is he saying? He's saying, I know, therefore I need you to trust. Trust that I know what's going on. I like what Tony Evans said at the very beginning. Nothing happens in history that doesn't start without being allowed in eternity. I love that. Because God has already declared what's going to happen, and it's a matter of it all unfolding, and it's his plan. By the way, do you notice here? It does not say, I will deliver you. After 70 years, God's going to step in. But in the meantime, I'm not going to step in and deliver you. It doesn't say, you know what, I'm going to take this away. I know this is hard being away from home and all. I'm going to just take this away. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that I'm going to swoop in and rescue you. It doesn't say my, my angelic host, the Avengers, are going to come in and, you know, they're not going to do that. No, God says you're going to be there for 70 years. But here's, here's the thing. Here's a very important biblical principle. God's purpose is not to escape hurt, but to thrive while you're in the midst of it. God's purpose is not for us to escape hurt. At no point does God ever say, oh, you'll never be hurt. 
You're never going to feel pain. You're never going to feel heartache and, and sickness and disease. You're never, God never says that. But while we're in the midst of it, God's purpose is that we not escape, but rather that we thrive while we're in the midst of it. And that's what he has here. God says, I know, therefore you can trust me. I know the plan. I have the blueprint laid out in front of me. And these plans, these thoughts that I have for you, boy, they're thoughts of peace, a future, and a hope. You know, I love the word peace here because often when we think of peace, we think of quiet, we think of tranquility, right? And that's true, you should. But also, the, uh, another definition for this word peace is completeness or soundness. In other words, what God is saying here is what you're going through right now is not only to give you a peace in your spirit because I know what's going on, but it's also to shape you, to mold you, to complete you so that you could be more like my son. Even in the midst of what we're going through here now in, in 2020 with the coronavirus, God knew this was coming. And part of its purpose is to bring us peace, not just quiet and tranquility, but rather to bring us peace so that it shapes us and conforms us to his image. What Judah was going through was preparing them for when they returned back to Judah and Jerusalem. I'm going to give you peace, a quietness, a tranquility, a completeness. I'm going to give you a future, an expected end. In other words, we're not done. Babylon is not the end. There's more to come. There's more to come. Babylon is not the, 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 the end result of everything. I've got something great for you. When all this comes to a close, something's great that's out there for you that I have planned. And therefore, you can have hope. You can have hope that better Better times are ahead. You can have hope that something that there's something to look forward to. You can have hope that God has something planned. Even if it's, if it's eternity in heaven, that's something to look forward to. God says, listen, trust me. You know, whenever uh, uh, Jesus went to the cross, can you imagine what everybody was thinking when he was arrested in the garden? Don't you know the disciples were going, what's going on? How, why is he being arrested? How could God allow this to happen? He's the son of God. How could this be taking place when he was taken and he was put on trial in the Sanhedrin and when he was put on trial before Pilate? Don't you know that there were those that were asking, just going, oh my goodness, what's happening here? He should not be on trial, but yet he's being convicted of what's going on. What is God doing? Won't, won't he send angelic hosts down to rescue Jesus? And then those trials after the conviction led to the cross. And don't you know that there were those that were at the cross calling out to God, saying, oh God, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Because God had an end. God had the resurrection right around the corner. God had that, and he had this. This particular circumstance that Jesus went through, which is maybe the worst circumstance, obviously, that anyone could ever go through, his plan was a plan of redemption. His plan was to give peace to the soul through salvation in Jesus Christ. His plan was to give a future. 
Yes, they beat him. Yes, they convicted him. Yes, he went through some terrible trials and mock trials that were just totally off the charts bad and, and, and bad legal uh, decisions across the board. And everybody said, crucify him, crucify him. And then there were those who were in bewilderment, wondering what's going on. But God had a plan. He had a blueprint. And that was a blueprint of peace, future, and hope. What is God telling us here? I'll tell you what he's telling us. Trust me. He's saying, trust me. He's saying, I got this. This is only a season. And in the end, if you'll trust me, if you'll rest in me, you'll find peace and hope and a future. You know, I know it may look bad right now. And the numbers that the people are telling us on television does not look good at all. Many lives will probably be lost. There already have been too many. Jobs will be lost, money will be lost, retirements will be lost, people's health will be lost. But listen, God knows the plan. We need to trust him. We need to live life as best we can. We need to trust God's sovereignty. And thirdly and lastly, we need to seek the Lord wholeheartedly. Seek the Lord wholeheartedly. He's telling the people, while you're in Babylon, while you're in this circumstance, while you're going through the worst of what you think you could ever go through, I need you to seek me wholeheartedly. Look at verses 12 and 13. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me. When you search for me with all your heart, I will be found by you, says the Lord. I hope you notice there are six different words there. Six action words, six verbs. Call, go, pray, seek, find, search. Just in those two verses, we see all these verbs. Go. Go where? Go to prayer. Go to prayer. Go to your prayer closets. Go to your prayer room, whatever that is, whether it's outside, inside, whatever it is. Go to your prayer position, whether it's standing up, whether it's on your knees, whether it's on one knee, both knees, whether it's laying flat on the floor. Go to prayer. Assume that prayer position, whatever it is. Go to that prayer time, that prayer event that you have. He's telling him, while you're in Babylon, I need you to go to prayer and call on me. I love the word call there. The call is, the word call, you know, it's like you're calling for somebody, but it's the, the meaning of the word means to initiate. That initial connection, you know, it's kind of like whenever, you know, you pull out your cell phone and you pull up uh, your, all the people's names and everything, all your contacts, and you go to somebody's name and, uh, you know, you find their number and it might say house or mobile or work or something like that. And you punch their name and, so how's it going? Hey, brother. Yeah. How's it going? Yeah. You doing it? Yeah. And you need that. You just initiated that call. That's what God's saying. He's saying, call me. Initiate the relationship with me. Call upon me. Talk to me. Renew that relationship with me. He says, go, call, pray. You know, we think of the word prayer here. We just think, okay, pray, pray to God. But the word here actually means to intervene. In other words, as you pray, you're not praying for yourself, but you're praying for others. You're praying for everybody else. You're praying about all the other people that are in Babylon along with you. And maybe your family members that were back home and the prophet Jeremiah that was back home. And you're praying for the leaders in Babylon. And you're praying for the, uh, uh, not just the national leaders, but the city leaders, the, the municipal leaders. But you're praying, you're intervening and interceding for people. You're seeking the Lord wholeheartedly. But then we come to these three words, seek, 
find, and search. Seek, find, and search. The words seek and find, they're kind of like bookends, okay? These two particular words are, the verb usage here is called the conjunctive perfect tense. And what that means is this. It means that it's a completed action here. In other words, begin seeking here. And then finding, which is the end result. There are two completed actions at the end of the bookcase. And in the midst of the books that are right here, all of that is search. The word search is an imperfect verb tense, which means that it is an incomplete action. It is an action that is taking place here and going on into the future. In other words, what he's saying here is he's saying, seek me and you will find me. And while you're seeking me, there's going to be all this searching that's going on in the middle. You're going to be searching for me. You're going to be becoming more aware of me. You're going to be, uh, become, have more knowledge about me. More of my wisdom, more of my words, more of my spirit, more of my understanding what, what my plan might be. And that's what the seeking and the finding and the searching is. I, I think of it as kind of, like a, kind of like an Oreo cookie, okay? I love Oreo cookies. And anytime I've always gone home uh, back to Alabama, my mama, I will tell you what, she always has Oreo cookies for her. She has this brown cookie jar, and it says cookies on it, you know, and the top is broken because my brother broke it. He dropped the top and broke it when he got cookies, and he wasn't supposed to get cookies. But anyway, that's a whole other story. And uh, whenever all that took place, we glued that thing back together. But every time we go back to mom's house, we go straight to that cookie jar. I'm talking about within the first 10 or 15 minutes that we're there, we go to that cookie jar, and mama always has Oreo cookies. And we have, we have the, the, the two ends here. You know, you think of the cookie part, the seek, and the find. What's the best part of an Oreo cookie? It's that filling in the middle, isn't it? It's that cream that's in the middle. You know, it's so much so that sometimes you'll break the cookie apart and you'll eat that cream out of the middle. Why? Because it's so good. Oh, man, it's so good. And that's what God's saying here. Not that he had Oreo cookies in mind, but God's saying, you know what? Begin seeking me. And eventually you'll find me, but in the process, you're going to be searching for me. And what's in the middle? All that searching? Oh, it's so sweet. It's so good. You're going to enjoy it so much because of the relationship that we're going to build with one another. Seek the Lord wholeheartedly. He's telling them as they're in Babylon. You know, a very important biblical principle here is this. The best growth that we can experience as believers comes through perseverance in trials. Not the escape of trials, but perseverance within a trial. God's saying, I don't want you to escape the trial. I want you to run to me in the midst of the trial. Why? Because I'm your tower. Because I'm your fortress. Because I am your shield. I am that cleft that's in the rock. I am your rock. I am your tower. I am your foundation. I am your shelter. I am your shield. Run to me. Seek me. You know, God is looking for seekers. God's looking for seekers. Psalm 14, 2 says, the Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand who seek God. Psalm 27, verses 4 and 8, one thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. That's what happens when you search. You behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You said, seek my face, and my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, 
I will seek. And in the midst of hardship, the midst of circumstances, even in the midst of this whole coronavirus thing, folks, if there's anything God is calling us to do, he's calling us to seek him, to call out to him, to know him, to understand the very presence and to seek the very face of God. This is one of God's purposes for us. I believe with this virus that's going on now that the people should turn to him, not just for answers, although we want answers, and not just for healing and comfort, although we want healing and comfort. But one of God's purposes is that people would turn to him for salvation, that the lost would be saved, that people who are backslidden would return to the Lord, that people would, would turn their hearts to the Lord, the people that were turning their backs on God would bow on their knees before God. The nation would turn to Christ for salvation. That those running from God would now learn to run to God. And that those who have turned their backs would turn around and see this wonderful, beautiful Savior of all creation, the God who loves us more than we could ever love ourselves, that we would turn to him. Seek the Lord wholeheartedly. Live like God has intended for us to live. Trust his sovereignty. He knows the plan. Trust him. Seek him with all we got. Seek him wholeheartedly. Why? Because he's the Lord and he knows the plan. And while we're in the midst of this, in the meantime of all this that's going on around us, may we be faithful to seek God to trust him, to live with our families and with our neighbors at peace like we should, to train our children as we should. There's no better time than right now. You're at home with the kids. You're at home with your families, many of you. May we call out to the Lord and may we seek him with our lives. You know, when we speak of seeking the Lord, I have to ask the question, you know, when was the last time you truly sought the Lord? Let me ask you, have you ever, have you ever sought the Lord in salvation? Have you ever wondered whether if you died today that you know that you're going to heaven? Have you ever thought, you know, what's after all of this? Is there, is there truly a heaven? Is there truly a God? Well, I'm here to tell you that there is. The question is, will you seek after him? Will you seek after his salvation? His salvation is found only in Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 6, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus is the Savior. He's your only way to heaven. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you can do that right now in the comfort of your own living room, wherever you're at, maybe you're in an office. But right now, you could accept him as your Savior. You could call upon him, just say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that you died for me. And God, you're holy, and I'm not. And I do not deserve to go to heaven. But I want to put my faith and trust in you. I seek you right now for forgiveness I seek you for salvation. I seek for you to come into my life and save me. And if you'll call out to him, as we said earlier, calling out to the Lord, if you'll call out to him, he will save you. Believers, this is a call for us also, not just for the lost to come to Christ, but for believers, for us as Christians, that we would get our lives back on track with God, that we're training our children and our families the way it needs to be done.
biblically. That we would learn to trust God even in the worst of circumstances. And that we would have a life that is just filled with our seeking God wholeheartedly. And by the way, when we trust God and we truly seek God, our children are going to see that. And they very likely will become young people and ultimately adults who will trust the Lord even in the worst of circumstances and live their lives as lives that are seeking God with their whole heart. Let me pray with you and then we'll uh, conclude our message today. Father, thank you for these people that have been watching in today. Thank you for our church family. Lord, thank you for Jesus dying on the cross for us. Thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your goodness. God, thank you for the forgiveness of sins. We thank you that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to avoid, and we can avoid it through the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that if there's one out there who does not know you as Savior, Lord, that they would call upon you, that they would seek you, that they would trust you as their Lord and Savior. God, that they would turn from their sin and that they would turn to you. And Lord, may we as believers stand faithful, tall, and true during these circumstances, Lord, in the meantime, in the midst of this circumstance, that we would call out to you and seek you with our whole hearts. Bless your people. Thank you for this time we've been able to share together. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen and amen. You know, if you made a decision for Christ today, uh, we, we want to praise God with you on that. If you are watching, whether it's uh, online on our Facebook page or it's on our uh, cbcbrandon.org page, we want you to let us know. There's a a space for comments on our Facebook page. Put some comments in there, whether you receive Christ, or you were blessed by the message, or if you have questions or want to know more about our church, whatever it might be, put those on there. And also, like I said, at cbcbrandon.org. Uh, there's a place on there for, uh, con to contact us, and there's a place where you can write a little message in there. We would love to hear from you. Lord bless you. Have a great week in the Lord, and we'll see you next time. God bless.